Galatians chapter 5, the college football season's winding down, and uh, then basketball season begins. When we think about rivalry, all right, today, the title of the message, Internal Rivalry, and all these rivalries, there were, if you think about Michigan, you think about Ohio State, uh, the whole time we were at the last church, the uh, pastor there was from Ohio. And every year, Michigan lost to Ohio when, we were, when I was a youth pastor there. And so he would just come up when it was his time and come up to the pulpit on that Sunday after they would lose again. And he would just come up and he would open his Bible and then he would just pause. And then he'd go, <laughs> And then he would go into the text. And everybody knew what that little, huh, was. You lost again to my team. There was a lady after the first service, she caught me in the hallway. She said, you know, I married someone, being from Michigan, and I married someone from Ohio. And so when games happened, they would do the O-H-I-O, and she said, and I would always say, go blue, after they would say that, you know. They're spelling out. She's like, I couldn't figure out. They still can't figure out how to spell the name of their state, but they have to practice all the time. But after every time, she would say, go blue, at, at the end of it, you know. And she's like, that just reminded me of that. And uh, if you think about rivalry between Kentucky and Duke, if you just want to get under, you know, my wife's skin, just, just talk about Duke. And Christian Leitner and all of that, these rivalries. And it'd be unthinkable for someone who was signed for Michigan and then sophomore year, they're switching. They're going to play for Ohio State or vice versa or someone playing for Kentucky and now they're going to go to Duke. It'd just be unthinkable. They would just be, you know, the whole big blue nation would just turn their back on that person. How could you go play for them? And I think this coming week, there's uh, in New Jersey, there's a, there's a Democrat who, uh, based on his reasons, he's going to announce, I'm switching and I'm going to become a Republican. I'm going to go on the record as a Republican. And so they're going to make a big deal about that. And every now and then it happens, but then you have all the people are like, wait, we voted for you. We signed you. This is a rivalry. We're not the same. We're not going to come together. And on and on it goes. This rivalry happens in here. It's relentless. And whatever's going on in here and inside of you makes its way out into our relationships. It spills over into marriages. It spills over into parenting. And it spills over in churches of what's happening in here and how that plays out in this rivalry. And 2,000 years ago, that's what Paul is dealing with. And last week at the end of the message, we, we saw Paul warn that you're, if you bite and devour one another, you're just going to consume each other. And he uses that language that's descriptive of wild animals. Like, you know, this is a, the church gone wild. Like, this is crazy. You're behaving in a way that is not like Christ. It's all about you. It's all about what you do, what you haven't done. And this mixture is happening. The loyalties are separating in the church. Here are the people saying, you, you can trust in Jesus. That's good. But wait, there's more. Have you become a follower of Judaism? Have you gone through the various rites and rituals? You've got to become religious. Here's our laws. Here's our systems. Here's our diets. Here's our feasts. Here's all these things that get piled on. And then there's those who are saying, no, that's not the message that Paul brought to us. 
We remember what Paul said. Paul said, I used to be in Judaism. I used to be this, that, and the next thing. And I was on the road to hell until Jesus of Nazareth met me on the road to Damascus. He opened my blind eyes and he changed my life forever. And I come bringing to you the gospel that was delivered to me. I'm delivering to you and our eyes were open. There's factions in the church. So we're free to serve. We're free to serve one another and to love one another. And Paul is now going to give them, here's what the Spirit's role is in this. Paul would never advocate that the Christian life is just you're free to do whatever you want to do and that be sin. But rather, he's instructing Christians who are the ones who have been set free, we're finally able to do what we want to do. And it's not breaking the law. I mean, I grew up in Montana. They were the last state to go with the speed limit. And even when they did finally bow and bend to a speed limit, like, all right, $5 is your fine and nothing on your record. That's the state you own a real sports car. I see people around like Detroit or Chicago and they own a sports car that can drive, you know, can go like 200 miles an hour. Why? You should live in Montana. That's where you live with a car like that. Some people be like, all right, that's your ticket, $5. See ya. And away they go. We're not free to just do whatever we want. There's no consequences. We are finally free to do what we were born to do. And that is live for the honor and glory of Jesus. And beloved, listen, we can't, I can't live for Jesus' glory and my glory simultaneously. My glory's small. I'm made in the image of God, so there's value and so are you. You're made in his image. We bear his image. There's glory there. But we either live for our glory or his glory. And when we come down to this rivalry, that's what's going on inside of you. That's what's taking place in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in our nation, in a church, in a culture, in the world. And it all is in here. And, and, until we get this, the Judaizers say, you know, the trouble is out there. The trouble is with the Gentiles. The trouble was with them. The trouble, they're wrong. I'm okay because I do these things and I don't do those things until we come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is, do you want to know what the problem is with the world this morning? It's in here. I'm what's wrong. That changes the posture of marriage and everything else. When it's not everybody else is messing up. Everybody else is wrong. When we say, I'm what's wrong, but let me tell you about grace. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. It's only possible by the Holy Spirit. This isn't a self-help message. This isn't a let's all pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and Christmas is about to get brutal and shopping and all that. So let's just grin and bear it and fake it till you make it. That is not the gospel. The gospel is get in community with other believers, know Christ, get honest with one another, trust one another, love one another, pray with one another, forbear with one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, grow in grace together. And you can't do it alone. Father, Son, Spirit, community, the triune God, the church, we need each other. So we love each other. We fellowship with each other. So let's look at what Paul says here in Galatians chapter five, just three verses this morning, verses 16, 17, and 18. And we, I'm gonna just pick up from where we ended last week. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. Verse 14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another, but 
I say, okay? He's, he's simply saying there's a better way. That's your way, that's carnal, that's worldly, that's every other organization. But I say, okay, you ever had your kids tell you, that, but Johnny's dad said he could go, but I'm your dad. Okay, so that's what Paul is doing is he loves them, but I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if, and you might circle that if, if you are led by the spirit, Paul doesn't know who in these Galatian churches is in fact led by the spirit. I don't know who in our congregation is truly led by the spirit and who is just getting swept along by everybody else. Well, I've just always been in this church. I was brought up in this church. I don't know. I just, here I am. If you are led by the spirit, here's the results. You're not under the law. <laughs> You're free. And then he's going to go on and we're going to see in coming weeks the, very, the vice list. This is what it, the works of the flesh are. This is the fruit of the spirit. And it's a matter of taking inventory. What's, what do you see in your life? What do the people that are closest to you see in your life? Do you see an increasing fruit? And we're in a garden here and we're in relationships as we understand the word of God. So this morning as we look at these three verses, I just want to do a quick overview of the, the Holy Spirit as revealed in the word of God. Old Testament, uh, we see the Holy Spirit even all the way back to Genesis, right at the beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse two. Uh, let's come up here. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The, the Hebrew, ruah, okay, the breath. And, and just after this, this, the breath of God goes into man and man becomes a living being that we have been given life. We are made in his image and we are given life by the life giver, by the creator. All throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come, on certain, come upon certain individuals and would use them for effective ministry in various ways. To the point that David would pray, take not your spirit from me. If you take your spirit from me, I, I have nothing to lead the kingdom. I can't do this. It's too much for me. Even the Spirit of God came on Saul for a time and the people were saying, is, this, is he King Saul? Is he now a prophet? So the Spirit of God, and when the tabernacle was being built, when the temple was being built, the Spirit of God equipped, enabled, empowered people for certain beautiful tapestries or, or architecture or, or all of the designs that were needed. And God's Spirit equipped someone and said, you are going to do this for the temple. I'm going to use you in this way. And that person was like, oh, man, you're going to use me to do that? You care about sowing and you care about building? Yes. So God's spirit would empower people for various ministry, for prophetic ministry, for practical ministry in every way. Then we get to the New Testament. Luke 1, 15, we, we have the word of what's going to be about John the Baptist. This is about John the Baptist. He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So Zacharias is in the temple. He's the priest chosen for that priestly duty. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, your wife. So this connects with what we've been talking about with Sarah. 
and her womb was closed and there was no way she was going to have a child unless God by his spirit opened her womb and a child Isaac was given in a supernatural way that God brought life from the dead. Is what Sarah's like, I'm dead. My womb is dead. How, how is a baby going to come out of me? God, there had to be resurrection life given to Sarah for her to be able to reproduce in that way. You get to the New Testament and here's Zachariah and he's in the temple and he's offering and the angel says, your wife, who's on in years, it's been a long time, they don't have any children, she's going to bear a son. It's going to be John. Now, Zechariah, the priest, the spiritual guy, the religious guy, the one waiting on all of the work of the Lord, love the Lord, he asks the question, how's this going to happen? Like Sarah, my wife, going to have a child? Are you kidding me? But then the angel comes to Mary. An angel gives to Mary this prophecy in Luke 1, I think it's 35. And the angel answered her because Mary's question was different. We've studied this in the past. Mary didn't say, oh, this is impossible. Think about this, about a 13-year-old girl, and she says, tell me how this is going to happen. Very different. I'm the religious man offering the prayers. What? Mary, tell me how this is going to be. Well, here's your answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Son of God. And her life was radically changed and has never been the same. And we still, there's a blessing upon that woman because she brought to us Messiah. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. Well, these boys grow up, John and Jesus, cousins, the ministry of John the Baptist, he's out preaching fire and after me comes the one and, you know, fire and judgment and people are repenting. And then Jesus comes and he looks, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus comes down and says, John, you need to baptize me. And you remember, John says, no, you got that backwards. I'm not worthy to take your sandals off. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, we have to do this, that all things may be fulfilled. You've got to fulfill. This is the word of God. And he says, okay, at your word, I'll baptize you. Jesus comes up out of the water and in Luke chapter, what is it? Chapter 3, 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. So the Father is in heaven. Jesus is in the water. The Spirit is descending. This is the triune God. This is the Trinity. This isn't one form and now a different form and another form. This is the triune God all involved in this work of redemption. And the Father is in heaven and the Spirit is descending in the form of a dove. Jesus is in the water. And what does the voice that comes from heaven say? You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And what have we been saying through this whole message series in Galatians is that grace and love and mercy... It's all given at the starting line of salvation. Works-based, self-righteous-based religions, teaching, all say, here's the initiation. And if you do good enough, and if you hold the line, and if you are this, and if you are that, then maybe grace is for you at the end. Maybe the reward is for you at the end. And if not, well, you might need a time in purgatory. You might need punishment. You might, you might not be done yet. Jesus hasn't had any ministry yet, and the Father says, I'm well pleased in you. Why? Because we're in relationship together, and you're my son. This morning, little baby uh, Joseph David Batiglio was here. Okay, that baby hasn't done anything for the family yet. And already, did you see little Sophia up here, like taking care of everybody? She's mothering over. Here's your crown. I mean, she was working the whole time. Why? Because she was told to by her parents, now you make sure you get up there. No, 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 no. That's something she loves doing. 
And little Carol was sitting there. If you ask little Carol, it took her a little second, but like, Carol, where's your little baby brother? She'd look at you, she'd check you out. She may have been running you through a security grid, maybe me. Like, am I going to tell you? I'm not sure. I mean, she was just looking at me. And pretty soon, I think it was one of my daughters asked, and she's like, points right at the, right at the little baby hole, right, like right in there, you know. That, that child hasn't done anything for the family yet, not helping on any projects, but a father can say, you're my son, and I love you. I'll never love you more or less based on what you do or don't do. Our relationship may regard you at times as a blessing. At times, it may be a burden, but I still love you. And I want to enjoy you. But we're always going to be related to each other. Now, how this relationship works out when you have a, a sinful dad and a, a sinful child, there's, there's the conflict. Our relationship between a perfect father in heaven and us, whenever there's strain, whenever there's trouble, it's never me or it's never God. It's always me. I'm the one who has to look back and say, where did I take a turn? What happened? You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. After he's baptized, Luke 4 opens up and the spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and he goes into a time of testing. I think it's the gospel of Mark that says the spirit drives him. And his ministry, he's full of the Holy Spirit. This is why we're here 2,000 years later is because Jesus' ministry was in the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, if there's going to be anything that we do that lasts, it's because it's the Spirit does it in and, through and, in and through us. This is why we call ourselves to prayer before each service. Because if we work, we work. If God works, everything changes. That's what we just sang about this morning. And we have to be utterly dependent upon the Lord. And Jesus was full of the Spirit so his ministry is long-lasting. There's longevity to it. It will never end because it was of the Spirit of God. And we need to take this to heart and keep this in mind. So he defeats Satan attacks and the power of the Holy Spirit. He defeats temptation. He properly uses the Word of God. And then he goes on in ministry and in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes home. And he's in the synagogue and they hand him the scroll and he reads in Isaiah. We've been reading various portions of Isaiah to start each service. In, in, in Luke chapter 4, he reads Isaiah. And then he says in their hearing what is unmistakable. Listen, listen if I can get there. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Paraphrase, everything that we have been waiting for as descendants of Abraham, all that the Old Testament prophets have foretold, you're on the very front line to see it happen today. It's fulfilled. 
the gospel will be preached and people who were enslaved to sin will be set free. And I'm just taking that message. It's not mine. It's not original with me. And I'm giving it to you today. And maybe from the first service or this service, or maybe as it goes out across the various channels, someone will hear the good news and they will be set free. Amen. Isn't that what we're praying for? Isn't that why we've gathered today? That they will say, I'm no more glorifying me. That's a small, that's an, a pointless way of living. Let my life be added into the song of heaven and I will live for the glory glory of Jesus Christ. John 14, Jesus promised he would send the spirit. He's not going to leave him, his, his disciples, his children alone. The helper will come and he will be with them and remind them of all truth, all things that he said. And then he, he ascends. And in Matthew chapter 28, we see the great commission that he were given this humanly impossible task, right? Go therefore and make disciples of one or two neighbors. What? I can't do that. It's all nations. Well, that's even harder, Pastor. Thanks a lot. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, teaching them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Because right here, everybody alive then and everybody alive with common sense today would say that's impossible. We can't do that. And Jesus says, but wait, there's more. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you alone and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So they waited and they prayed. 10-day prayer meeting, they waited. And in Acts, we see that the Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, all Sumeria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the end of the earth, I will send you. And so they waited and they prayed. 120 in the upper room, and in Acts 2, it unfolds that the Spirit descends, an earthquake happens, assembled thousands of people, and that day, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And here we are, 2,000. The rest of the New Testament is all about the ministry of Jesus, His Spirit on earth through Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later, and well, we're smart, and we have smartphones. We don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. No, no, we are absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit. My voice, my words cannot change one heart. If you're here this morning struggling in whatever relationships, internal conflict is going, my voice can't do anything on its own from you. It's impotent to change anything in your, in your heart and in your mind and in your life. But when my voice takes the word of the living God and it brings it like seed to the to the soil, and your heart is open to receive the word of God, then maybe your eyes will be opened. Maybe you will see what God can do, wants to do in and through your life to bring him glory and for your good. And today everything changes. Lives healed, hope found. I'm praying that that happens. Praying that that happens even this week. As Christians, we face this internal rivalry, this battle, this conflict. Imagine if we, uh, this week, there's a, there's a story that broke that the New England, New England Patriots, they had somebody at a game and they were watching everything happening on the sideline on the other side because they were going to play that team coming up. So they were watching all the communication on the sideline and however that pans out and what it happened or didn't happen, everybody's like, that's not fair, you shouldn't do this. But imagine if you had all the insight to your opponent, well, here's where they're going to be. That happened in the Old Testament. Syria would show up and they're, they are, they're just ready for them. Like, huh? who's telling them? Oh, they have a prophet of God. 
Well, we need that guy, right? We have the Holy Spirit. We have every advantage that we need to not sin and to win the battles of temptation. So let's yield to the Spirit of God. Paul writes to the Galatians. He writes about this battle between the Spirit and the flesh. And we know the game plan. And we have the end of the story that Jesus doesn't lose. Jesus wins. And all who are in him win. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says, this is it. Here's our edge. As Christians, little children, John writes, did, did you catch that in the song this morning? They say, young and old. Did you see him do that to us? I'm like, what? <laughs> I saw that. But they're, they're, they're right. Sing along, right? John the elder could say that about everybody because he was old. He was older than everybody. He's like, oh, you're all children. I'm 70. Yeah, you're my child. You're my little child. You're like, yeah, we're back in the little children category. You know, he was an elderly old man carried back and forth. And this is what he cared about. You are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is what? Greater. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Praise God for that. The battles that play out in our lives and in our hearts, in all of our relationships, they're either lost in the power of the flesh or they're won in the power of the Holy Spirit. It affects all of our relationships. The moment that a person turns from their sin and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, everything changes. So Saul, who became Paul the apostle, writes to the church at Corinth, about this change in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now that is the question right there. Are you in Christ? Everyone who's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everything's changed. Because God, his spirit, has taken up residence at the moment of your conversion and lives in you. So nothing stays the same. Well, here comes the Judaizers. They're in all these churches, false teachers. They're trying to mix works with faith. You've got to do these things and the other things. But Paul is going back to the gospel. He keeps reiterating the importance of Christ alone, faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone. A lifestyle that is under the law ignores the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If it's all about our rules, you don't need the Holy Spirit. You just need the biggest giver in the church, the longest member in the church, and they set the standards for everybody. One problem. Ain't one person going to stand before them in the judgment day. And they can be wrong. When it's the Spirit of the living God that lives in you and lives in me, then he enables us to obey him and we will stand before him clothed in righteousness. One, standards of legalism, they lead to death. But grace leads to life. So Paul is going back to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, what are three steps that I should take if I'm gonna live before God and with others in freedom, peace, and victory? And I'm just wondering, is this your desire this morning? I want to live before God. I want to live my life out with other people in relationships, freedom, 
peace, and victory. Then what are we going to do? Number one, here's your first step. Find new life. Find new life in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, but I say. And he gives a command. Walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. So you have to find new life. It's not found in keeping the system of rules. It's found only in Christ, in his spirit. We are free to live. What does it mean to walk? Or your Bible might say to live by or to live in the spirit. That word for walk means to go, means to walk about, to go from here, to go to there. And it's a constant dwelling. You're constantly abiding. The word picture is uh, the mama duck. Wherever the mama duck goes, there go the little ducklings. And Ginger said, she said, you should tell her, every time we come out of a store, every time, it doesn't matter what store we park in, if our car is parked over here and I come out the store and I'm walking this way, I don't know what happens in the doorway of all the stores, but my wife and all of my daughters, they just get a directional scrubbing. And we walk out and I'm going toward our car and they are walking out and I can see in the peripheral of my vision, there they go again. Like every time, on their own, again, you know, there they go. That's their song, you know, there I go again on my own. There they go. And I, and I just am cracking up, and I just wait, and I walk, and I look, and then she's like, <laughs> and they come back. Like, they always get in the wrong direction. This word became known for a disciple and his pupils, his followers. That everywhere the teacher would go, I said disciples, but it's the teacher and his disciples. Everywhere the teacher would go, the disciples would follow. And if the teacher walks around like this, then all the disciples walk like this, and everybody could see. They must be his, they're his, he, that's the teacher, and they're the disciples. Because look, they act the same, they go the same, they look like little ducklings. Everywhere they go, the mama duck, and there they go. It's all of life. This is our life. It's every day. It's all the time that we're saved. We're given the Spirit the moment that we're saved. And our life is graciously sustained by the Spirit throughout all of life. So Paul commands this. Walk by the Spirit. Now, if he commands it, that means it's a choice. I have a, I have a responsibility. The Spirit is just not going to override me. I have a responsibility to choose joy. I have a responsibility to choose forgiveness. I have a responsibility to choose to love and to serve I have a responsibility. This I say, walk by the Spirit. He gives a command. What's the result? What's the fruit of walking by the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit. He says, you will not gratify. You'll not bring to completion. To do, to, to bring it all the way out, your own selfish desires. So beloved, in this life, we won't be totally free from sinful desires. Paul dealt with that. Romans chapter 7, what I want to do, I'm not doing. This conflict is ongoing. But listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 about every time that we face temptation. You face temptation. I face temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You ever had somebody say the, the saying, um, God won't give you more than you can handle? Is it in this context? Because Paul's head was chopped off. That was more than he could handle. Okay? It's, he won't give you temptation that I have to sin. 
That's the context of this verse. We will all face more than we can handle in life. And there are people that, that reject God on a, on a screensaver statement, on a, on a tweet that someone said that they thought they were saying rightly, but God gave me more than I can handle, so he must not have told the truth. Be careful with what we say. No, he won't give us temptation beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You won't melt and wither under it. Now, it might be like Joseph, you have to run out. He cost him everything, cost him his position. He was thrown in prison, but he glorified God and God was with him. Tim Keller, he says it this way. He says, the main problem of our heart has, the main problem our heart has is not so much desires for bad things, but over desires for good things. When a good thing becomes our God, it creates over-desires. Paul says that sinful desires become deep things that drive and control us. So what drives and controls you? So when we think about the lust of the flesh, it's not just the bad, horrible, oh, it's that district down there. It's that road. It's those people. It's in here and it's anything that would take a priority, a place over God. That can be children. That can be your opinion. That can be your political cause. It could be your cause, whatever the cause may be. It can be anything that is simply, this is what I want. But is that what God wants? The desires of the flesh are self-centered desires. And every aspect of our lives and every relationship is included. So our flesh is not just our actions, beloved. And this has, been, this has been beating me up. This is our attitudes. This is our motives. This is the irritation that no one else can see and that you don't say, but it's just boiling in there. It's just churning in there, but I didn't say it. But Jesus said, if you look with lust... You've committed adultery. If I've hated in my heart, it's murder. This is way deeper than, I've never killed anybody. <laughs> this is deep. This is the battle that's going on inside of me and inside of you. So let me ask you this morning, have you been given new life in the spirit? Have you found new life in the Holy Spirit of God. And if you say, yes, pastor, I have. If you say, no, then today, I'm inviting you, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. The Spirit's ministry, to point to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. If you say, yes, pastor, I have found new life, then let me ask you, are you growing? Are you growing day by day, moment by moment, as we battle the flesh? Number two, fight the lust of flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our own weapons, our own abilities, they don't work. They don't stand up to the test. So Paul says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. This is the freedom that we have in Christ to actually fight. There's a time to fight, to stand up. Well, I just love everybody and I just love... No, you can't. To love God is to hate evil. To love God 
is to hate what's wrong that he is opposed to, all that goes against the Lord. This struggle is real. These enemies will never arrive at a stalemate or, you know, the old tic-tac-toe. And you want you to figure that game out? Every game ends in what? Cat's game. Hey, let's play again, Dad. Okay. Cat's game. Huh, who saw that coming? You know, just snuck up on me. Cat's game. Once you figure that game out, it's kind of pointless to play that game, right? That's never going to happen between the flesh and the spirit. It's not going to be like, well, you know, that was your 75th time going to church. All right. You're smooth sailing now. No, no. I've known pastors and so have you and, and influential international speakers that wrote books and filled seminars and in a moment of weakness, they lost everything. And they're out and they're disqualified. This is every moment, all the time. This battle is on. It's a conflict that's inside. It's real. It's powerful. The struggle has consequences as they are opposed to each other. The flesh hates the spirit. Spirit hates the flesh. We want people to glorify us, but the spirit wants for people to glorify Jesus. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. And we sing, hark the herald angels sing. And in that verse, second Adam from above. First Adam we're all descendants. We're all related. Here we are in the family of humanity. Adam and Eve sinned and we die. Second Adam from above doesn't share Adam and Eve. Adam, his bloodline, it's of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Messiah, is the second Adam who died to give life. Are you in Christ this morning? There was a time, these enemies, they're just never going to come in agreement. Now, I was a kid. We were in New Jersey. We were staying at somebody's house. They had cats. We had a cat. I thought I knew everything I needed to know about cats. The cats hated each other, and that was a topic of conversation while we stayed there through the week. Cats are like always, you know, all that sound. So I thought, my parting gift to this family, and they have not asked me, but I know they need this, I'm going to solve this dilemma of their cats. So I took one cat, went into the kitchen, had the cat cornered to the other cat, and I put the cat like, there you go, let's be friends. And the sound that came out of that kitchen was horrible. What happened was I got in a lot of trouble. My parents were like embarrassed. Their kid was a, you know, hellion in the kitchen. We thought we trained him better than that. And now he's having cat fighting in the kitchen. And I was like, I was trying to help. It didn't help. Those cats were not going to shake paws and become friends. They hated each other. I mean, there's a lot of different analogies you could use on this. You know, put two bulls in a pen, like, yeah, let's work it out. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. It isn't going to work out. So it is with the flesh and the spirit. This struggle has consequences. So the flesh will prevent the spirit from, from doing right. The spirit, if we yield to the spirit, then I'm not going to do what the flesh. But do you see how he writes this? These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. When you come to faith in Christ, what you want changes. Am I right? Do you know what I'm talking about? The things that you used to love, enjoy, do, spend your time, money on, suddenly you came to know Christ and you look back and you're like, why, why, did, why was that so important to me? Suddenly you have what you used to laugh at, you used to mock, you used to, people are, they need religion as a crutch. You said all those things. What happened to you? The Holy Spirit took up residence in you. 
Now what you want to do is I want to please my father in heaven. He's so good and he's forgiven me and I love him and it's out of love. It's not just I can't do that and I can't do the other and I'm supposed to do that. It's I want to do and the spirit enables that and the spirit allows us to actually obey the Lord in all things. And this is why Jesus' life and ministry was so effective because he was completely, unlike you and me, he was totally yielded to the spirit. He never said no to the spirit of God. He was always yielded Nevertheless, what you want, your will, he prayed in the garden, not mine. He was completely and utterly yielded to the Lord. So let's take inventory. Take inventory this morning. The effects of this fighting the lust of the flesh. Can I ask you these questions? Are you experiencing increasing joy as a child of God? As a child of God, are you increasing in joy or are you getting more and more grumpy? Get more and more sour? Get more and more nerves on the edge and people... You need to just get bite, bite and devour. Yeah, that's my verse. Uh, tattooed right there, bite and devour. You know, right arm bite, left arm devour. This is, my, this is the way I'm going to go out. Um, joy to the world. The Lord has come. We don't have to live for biting and devouring. Are you increasing in joy as a child of God? Can I tell you this? That won't happen apart from spending time with him and in his word and in prayer and with his people. Are you experiencing an increasing victory over sin and temptation in your life? That gives joy. When you think back, like, man, that particular temptation, I, they used to just knock the slats out of my life. I just, I mean, it just cleaned my clock. And God, you've changed me. Oh, I'm not perfect. That's not what we're saying. Uh, you know, I'm just like Jesus now. No, but... You've changed my desires. You're working in me, and I see your hand at work. Is your desire to serve on the rise increasing? I want to be a blessing. I want to serve wherever I'm at. I want to put my hand to the work. Is your desire to please yourself going down? Remember what John the Baptist said? He must increase, I must decrease. Is that you? That's what the Spirit will bring about in our lives is I want to serve others. I want to have his glory, not mine. I used to care about my opinion and my way and all those things. You know what? I'm here to serve. Are you becoming more kind and more patient with those who are in your family and in your church family? Or are you getting shorter and shorter? Quicker to the, you know, trigger. These are the real questions because here's the reality. When we answer these honestly, we say, I'm either operating in the lust of the flesh or I'm fighting that lust in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it comes down to you and me fighting, taking a stand. I love what my aunt said when we were with her. She said every day, and she's been through as many, many of you have as well, been through so much in her life and she has a song and she said, I wake up every day, Brian, and I purpose before I put my feet on the ground, I will praise the Lord. And her life bears it out and her family bears it out to praise the Lord. Number three, third step, follow. So find new life, fight the lust of the flesh. It's all in the Holy Spirit. And follow. Follow the constant leading of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is constantly prompting us. The Spirit doesn't, like, here I am, and here's this, and 
where'd the Spirit go? The Spirit is always prompting us to do what's right, to please the Lord. But if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're either living in freedom or you're living in bondage. Judaizers with all their laws and do this and do that, they're bringing it, bringing bondage. Paul's saying there's a better way and it's life in the Spirit. This if here is huge. If you are led by the Spirit, are you? Are you? The people I'm looking at, are you led by the Spirit this morning? Are you following the Spirit's leading or your own opinion? Well, here's how I do things. Here's, are you following the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you care about your will? Or do you care about God's will? Because if I care about God's will and I go through time of suffering, my faith, my hope, my joy are all still intact. If I care about my will, live long enough, it's going to get challenged, isn't it? You're going to need surgeries and you're going to need all that. But if I care about the will of God, if I'm led by the Spirit, if, and Paul says this, like, well, does it matter, Pastor, if I have the Spirit of God? Does it matter if I follow the Spirit of God? Is this, maybe this, you know, these three steps that you said, not really on my radar, not really my thing then listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. Romans 8, 9, you, however, talking to believers, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, Paul, the apostle, doesn't know who's genuine Christians and who isn't. So he says, if. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Do you belong to Christ? If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is operating in your life. Yield to the Spirit of God. Do not grieve. Do not quench the Spirit of God. Yield to the Spirit of God. The mind of Christ is what it says elsewhere. So in this one chapter, and we're going to come back to these lists, but in this one chapter, what does the Spirit do? If you're led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit, Walk by the Spirit. It's all in this chapter. So this morning, are you under the crushing weight of the law or are you under the redemptive and transforming grace of God? And this is what Augustine said. And if you listen to it at first, the first time I heard it, it took me a minute to catch it and to, to like think about it. Love and do what you will. In his sermon on love. Love and do what you will. I'm like, wait a second. Love and do what you will. If I love God... And I love people, I love you. If I do what I want to do, that's going to be loving toward you. That's going to be loving toward my family. And when we live in relationships, that's where it gets surfaced. And what do I focus on way too often? That if something, children, somebody does wrong, then out of me comes a wrong response, a wrong attitude. And then when I study these scriptures, I realize, so it's not so much about what they did. Their doing, whatever it was, brought about a response. Was my response, that was me, that's on me. Was my response in the flesh or was my response in the spirit? Now I have something I have to deal with. Did I respond according to the spirit or the flesh at the checkout? In the drive-thru? When they got your food order wrong? 
I'll take it out on them. Is that flesh or is that spirit? Is that going to make a waiter or a waitress attractive to the gospel, attracted to the gospel because of how we treated them? Or does it make it, it's all about me? Because beloved, it can't be all about me and all about Jesus simultaneously. It's one or the other. Find new life. Fight the lust of the flesh. Follow the leading of the spirit. That's the sermon. Where are you at? What's your next step? Find life. Fight. Follow. May God enable us by his spirit to live for the glory of his son. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for this day. This day has been just filled in so many simple ways with joy. And you are so good. And I'm thankful for the cross and I'm thankful for Christ and I'm thankful for these people. I'm thankful for what you are doing in our lives. I'm thankful that you are still calling men and women to salvation. And would you do that today? Save the lost and strengthen those who belong to you by your spirit. Thank you for those who serve so faithfully week in, week out. They do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for that. Lord, the only way we're ever gonna win is by depending on you. And the way that we depend on you is by seeking you. And it really is through prayer. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian, Father. And that is one area that we publicly acknowledge we need your help in. We do not pray as we ought. Our prayers, my prayers, are too often filled with selfish, fleshly prayers. Help us keep us safe. Get us where we want to go. Do for us. And we are not praying according to your plan, your will, your character. So Father, help us to win the ultimate battles. Help us to win for the glory of Christ what really matters and not be so captivated by lesser things. It's not that they're important. They are important. But let us be consumed with your glory. So we come to you. We ask you for help. And we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.